one of the effects of the Marxist assault on America has been the general devaluation of language due to a process known as information bombardment. Information bombardment is another method of control by which the messenger obfuscates a fact or trend with conflicting information. Through a process called information obfuscation, the messenger creates confusion surrounding a topic by intentionally seeding conflicting information, thereby preventing casual viewers, i.e. most people, from forming a cogent theory or opinion on the topic. Donald Trump is often accused of this. News stories are frequently run, accusing the administration of chaos or of the president lashing out or being, quote, all over the place. A recent Washington Post article is titled, Trump Loves to Create Chaos. This is a frequent and effective accusation against the president designed to cast his topic switching as chaos. However, the message is aimed at low information or casual observers. Donald Trump is nothing if not capable of operating at an extremely high level of intensity. He's able to track more topics and stay engaged in more differing arenas than most people, and indeed any previous administration in recent memory. Most presidents lean upon their subordinates to stay engaged in the myriad range of topics and responsibilities a government as large as the United States deals with on any given day, in any given hour. Rare is it that the chief executive is able to be personally engaged across the spectrum of topics and events. And because the president is a marketer at heart, he brings those topics direct to market circumventing the normal process of having subordinates deal with the public on those topics directly. This creates an image when viewed at surface level of chaos, because the president will be discussing a topic such as immigration one moment, and moments later discussing the economy, then quickly downshifting to baseline political activities such as attacking his political opponents. This high energy level at which the president operates is evinced by the nearly three to one ratio of campaign stops during the Trump 2016 presidential campaign performed compared to Hillary Clinton. This means that President Trump takes a personal vested interest in topics big to small, whether it be a global impact topic, uh, strategic topics such as trade deals with China, to small topics such as gubernatorial or congressional district battles taking place in a single zip code. His critics are unable to challenge this fact, so instead they obfuscate the information environment by reframing this as chaos or raw emotionality. Someone once asked me how to cut through the fog of information. I spent nearly five years as an intelligence analyst and my first experience was to digest the streams of information flowing through the US intelligence community during the height of sectarian violence in circa 2007 Iraq. I would read, on average, in excess of 70 to 80 reports daily. I began to develop an ability to aggregate large amounts of data, much of it raw and unverified, into a true picture of events taking place on an international scale. Rather than taking a single thread of information as gospel, I became able to digest 10 or 20 perspectives on a single topic. Couple this with tidbits of verifiable fact, and I learned how to cut through the fog and developed a knack for understanding the truth about certain topics. One of the things this taught me is that it is often more useful to understand a message's motivations with respect to the messenger and intended recipient rather than the message itself. If you understand the messenger and its intended recipient and you can identify motive, you're more likely to understand the message's purpose. You can use other sources of information to tackle 
the message's veracity itself. Especially in today's environment of filter bubbles and one-dimensional sensationalist reporting designed more as entertainment for ad revenue rather than news and information, this is especially effective. A requirement for this method is that the reader have a system of morality and ethics, in effect choosing a side, prior to engagement with these streams of information. The truth is usually difficult to come by. We're forced to ride the tides of manipulation and swim with it, attempting to glean useful information or shreds of truth in the chaotic seas of data. We must also be aware of our fallacies. Confirmation and chronological bias are two extreme hazards to the person attempting to navigate the seas of information. Confirmation bias, especially with respect to military information gathering, is extremely dangerous. Let's say multiple unconfirmed reports of enemy activity appear corroborated by reports generated by organic sensors, i.e. things that we own, and those streams of information, when coupled and analyzed, appear to paint the picture of an enemy activity of a certain type. However, when we act on that information, we find completely different actors involved. The people doing the fighting are not who we thought they were, and their motivations for fighting are not what we thought they were. This can be incredibly dangerous because it caused us to insinuate ourselves into a conflict that we were better off avoiding or otherwise engaging with through different methods. Today's Marxist messengers capitalize on your inherent confirmation bias by use of the algorithms developed on platforms such as YouTube or Facebook. The algorithm identifies the fact that, for instance, you're a second generation immigrant with family in the process or recently immigrated. It then feeds you information that confirms your bias, for instance, something that the president said with regards to illegal immigration. The messenger carefully crafts a short message intended to confirm to you that the president is racist by either telling you he is without allowing you to read or hear his whole speech, or by clipping or crafting his speech to isolate certain parts. They then bombard you with carefully crafted messages such as this until all you see within the confines of your filter bubble is messages designed to force your belief and confirm your bias that the president is racist. In her book, The Crown of Life by Isa Blagden, the character states, Despots gag the press. We more wisely make it our weapon. If a lie is only printed often enough, it becomes the quasi-truth. And if such a truth is repeated often enough, it becomes an article of belief, a dogma, and men will die for it. A great example of information obfuscation occurred on Twitter the day Jeffrey Epstein died under mysterious and questionable circumstances on 10 August 2019. An organic hashtag began trending, hashtag Clinton body count. It trended for hours, reaching 70,000 organic tweets. An examination of the geographic data tied to those tweets showed that they were from accounts located all over North America and the world, evidence that it was in fact a true grassroots trending hashtag. However, a few hours into the news, the hashtag Clinton body count disappeared from the top of trending, replaced instead with a new one selected by Twitter, hashtag Trump body count. An examination of the geographic data tied to these tweets showed that they originated in a single place on the globe, California. This is a direct example of information obfuscation. The premise is simple. Deny, deny, counter-accuse. Simply flood the market with message that conflicts directly with the narrative you wish to oppose. It doesn't matter if it makes no sense. This isn't the point. The point is to confuse the low information or casual observer. No accusations of Donald Trump killing opponents or adversaries has ever been picked up by the news cycle. It wouldn't make sense for anyone to tweet something like, 
Trump body count. But that isn't the point. Simply confuse the narrative in the moment so casual observers don't know who to believe. Of course, because all the tweets originated in California, we can assume either Twitter itself or political opponents with messenger or bot networks co-opted the hashtag and Twitter at least tacitly allowed it to trend, if not downright forcing it into the trending list and removing the real trend. The war for your mind is raging right now, before your eyes. The consequences are real. What we do here, how we react, how we vote, how we communicate, prepare, the choices we make here and now and in November will spell our children's future. Another example of information obfuscation occurred around mid-March 2020, as evidence began to mount that the Chinese government had lost control of a novel coronavirus found in bats. The Chinese government began to counter the news with information obfuscation. The foreign ministry spokesman published an article on the Chinese news network Global Times. It attempted to draw parallels between the closure of a U.S. Army infectious disease research lab and the accidental release of coronavirus 2019. It takes an overt note of the conspiracy theories causing widespread panic across the globe. This is another example of an attempt to obfuscate the narrative. It may sound ridiculous to some, but to the intended audience it serves its purpose, simply to obfuscate reality so the observer can't decide what is right and wrong. Fact-checking websites have become masters at this. All they must do is cast doubt upon any part of what was said, and they've served their purpose. Note that when you visit any fact-checking website, the graphic depicting truth or falsehood is typically displayed prominently and draws the eyes away from the subject. Sometimes the user must even scroll to read the justification for truth or falsehood. This serves to condition the seven-second attention span of the observer by immediately casting doubt upon the veracity of those being fact-checked. Whether or not the website goes on to truly prove or disprove the statement is irrelevant, and very few observers are going to fact-check the fact-checker, thereby obfuscating the narrative and serving its intended purpose. Remember, Marxists have no obligation to the truth. All truth is subjective in their eyes, so any bending or breaking of conventions, such as journalistic integrity or morality, is merely a casualty of the class warfare of which they believe themselves a part. Another effect or intention of this process is the devaluation of language. In particular, the broad general application of trigger words designed to dehumanize, criticize, or delegitimize the target. Racism, Nazi, fascist. These words are intentionally over and misused in order to broadly lump any opposition into detestable categories. Once your opponent is sufficiently categorized, the messenger is then able to capitalize on numerous logical fallacies when messaging against them. A typical way they go about this is the use of the appeal to authority fallacy. They use people like LeBron James and Oprah to message against their opponents. The appeal to authority is a typical weapon of news in Hollywood. For instance, LeBron James is undoubtedly an exceptional ball bouncer. He is one of the all-time greats at throwing a ball through a hoop. Because many people value this ability and are awestruck by his persona and captivated by the media that lovingly crafts his portrayal as an icon, this fallacy is especially effective. The fallacy creates the illusion in the mind that because LeBron James is a credible source of basketball that he is also a credible source of other things. So when he makes the assertion that, quote, black people are literally being hunted, a victim of this fallacy will accept all or part of this assertion, even unconsciously. When coupled with the bombardment of similar messages, this creates a picture in the mind of the casual observer that this assertion is true, even if the observer never makes a conscious decision about its veracity. 
Straw manning is another typical and effective tool in which the wielder intentionally misrepresents the argument or target in order to more effectively attack it. A great example of this would be the Jordan Peterson interview with Sky News that rocketed him to fame. He would state a well-reasoned and researched opinion about a certain topic and the interviewer, Kathy Newman, would begin her response with, so what you're saying is, and proceed to mischaracterize his statement. She could then attack the straw man she created with typical tools. The no true Scotsman fallacy appeals to the purity of the observer. The left has done a great job of appealing to your purity by casting anyone who disagrees as a racist and anyone who agrees as pure or ideal. The argument goes something like, anyone who thinks immigration should be done legally is racist. Or, anyone who agrees with Donald Trump's policies is fascist. As such, the word fascist has been intentionally devalued. Most users have no idea what fascism is, instead loosely equating fascism with authoritarianism and any firm assertion made by political opponents as such. So, are you a fascist? Probably not. Here's what Benito Mussolini, the creator of the fascist doctrine, had to say on the topic. He said, Fascism is not only a system of government, but above all, a system of thought. So stop right there. The United States has, written into its very bones via the Constitution, amendments that prevent thought from being systemized. That is the first major divergence, a complete 180 from Americanism. But a simple-minded Marxist with a seven-second attention span would be incapable of mentating long enough upon a single subject without referencing their feelings to discern the difference. Americanism makes no demands of your system of thought. It was founded upon the very idea that you are allowed to seek your own system of thought. Americanism, patriotism, doesn't provide for you any system of thought. The idea is that you seek your own. People tend to conflate societal rules, i.e. culture, with government. Culture is any rule that can't be legislated. Rules such as the idea that you shouldn't go out in public in your underwear. In most places, this can't be legislated, but cultural rules are the ones we place upon ourselves. Fascism and Americanism are at complete odds here. Fascism legislates thought. America does not. Mussolini went on to write, in the fascist conception of history, man is only man by virtue of the spiritual process in which he contributes as a member of the family, the social group, the nation, and in function of history to which all nations bring their contribution. Here is why they've attempted to rebrand you as a nationalist or a fascist, and part of the reason why they've attempted to program you against being patriotic. But again, theirs is a cursory, low-resolution, seventh-grader understanding of patriotism and being an American. Americans understand that some of us must sacrifice to maintain the American experiment. The difference is that your sacrifice is not required. There were times in American history where decisions were made that made this sacrifice compulsory. And we hope we have learned from those mistakes. But because Marxists live in the present, all mistakes ever made must be accounted for in the here and now, despite the fact that we may have evolved past them. Mussolini writes, Fascism is therefore opposed to all individualistic abstractions based on 18th century materialism. And it is opposed to all Jacobinistic utopias and innovations. It does not believe in the possibility of, quote, happiness on earth as conceived by the economistic literature of the 18th century. And it therefore rejects the theological notion that at some future time, the human family will secure a final settlement of all its victories. 
Here Mussolini makes a direct indictment against the United States. Again, Americans must acknowledge what evil lurks within the hearts of men. We know that some of us must stand against that tide, clearly define right versus wrong and stand against it. The fascists would demand your servitude. The American defends the right of the people to choose not to. When honestly juxtaposed, no one could faithfully argue that Americanism is fascism, but remember, they aren't required to tell the truth, nor do they know it. At this point, even the most dedicated Marxist has read enough. They know now with certainty that they are correct and are not required to read the other 10 pages that Mussolini wrote. If they had, and we are assuming that they, like us, have faithfully attempted to understand a thing, they would have read this, quote, Fascism is anti-individualistic. The fascist conception of life stresses the importance of the state and accepts the individual only insofar as his interests coincide with those of the state, which stands for the conscience and the universal will of man as a historic entity. It is opposed to classical liberalism, which arose as a reaction to absolutism and exhausted its historical function when the state became the expression of the conscious will of the people. Liberalism denied the state in the name of the individual. In America, our rights are enshrined in the Constitution and they are inherent human rights, i.e. rights that exist without the approval of the state. The state does not grant you those rights, rather they exist externally to the state and the government is restricted from imposing upon them, in theory. When President Trump signs an executive order that places American citizens before others, that is not fascism. Rather, it is in fulfillment of the government's mandate to place the citizens of this nation before others. A fascist would demand dedication to the state. America demands the state's dedication to Americans. And here you learn that you are likely a liberal, in the classical sense. Democrats today aren't liberal. They're socialist at best, communist at worst, totalitarian either way. They have more in common with fascism than you. So, they are more desperate to confuse you and force you to doubt yourself. Our Bill of Rights allows us to deny the state in favor of the individual. Those rights matter above all. In our conception, each individual is free to seek his own destiny. Those of us that choose to defend it are honored by those not required. Thus, those that do serve demand nothing of those that don't, excepting perhaps a few precious admittances such as standing for the national anthem or treating the flag with dignity. That is all that is required of an American to service the ideal, a small sacrifice in order to participate in the greatest emancipation of humanity from misery, poverty, and bondage in human history. That is why they must assault the anthem and destroy the flag. It stands in the way of the long march of Marxism. Mussolini goes on to write, quote, The fascist conception of the state is all-embracing. Outside of it, no human or spiritual values can exist, much less have value. Thus understood, fascism is totalitarian, and the fascist state, a synthesis and a unit inclusive of all values, interprets, develops, and potentates the whole life of a people. I recently heard a smart man, a philosopher, call Donald Trump a, quote, proto-fascist. I, of course, disagree. Demanding that the government service the American ideal and guarantee the rights of the individual is completely counter to fascism. Demanding that immigration law reflect the rights of its citizens is not fascist. That is government demanding the rights of its citizens come first, in its conception, because ultimately government policy means resource allocation. It would be deeply unfair, and of course unconstitutional, to dedicate government resources to American non-citizens if it is not in the interest of American citizens. This isn't a libertarian argument, this is a faithful adherence to the purpose of government. America cannot afford welfare for all 7 billion humans on Earth. Perhaps one day in the Star Trekian future we will have the advanced technology so powerful that it can create food from thin air. On that day we can abolish borders and unite as one population. Until then, 
there are finite resources that must be equitably shared by all. The American government exists to ensure its citizens have their share. Fascism enslaves the mind in service to the state. Therefore, the state is able to define all boundaries. In America, of course, the state is not allowed to mandate your identity. Freedom of identity is a cornerstone of Americanism. But freedom of identity is not freedom from reality. People that demand you respect all identities devoid of reality are attempting to destroy objective truth because they're indoctrinated into the Marxist idea that subjective reality trumps objective truth. It is the Trojan horse they use today to indoctrinate our youth into a nihilistic worldview which is easily shaped into a Marxist one. How then do we see the difference between Americanism and fascism when we reference quotes such as despots gag the press, we more wisely make it our weapon? We must be able to reason why we believe the way we do. We don't rely on our feelings, but rather well-reasoned arguments that take into account things such as human rights and nature to better define and refine our belief system. This isn't an epistemological examination of ourselves, rather a pragmatic approach to living in the real world where the consequences are real. We don't subscribe to the nihilistic worldview that no choice matters, and we live in the Newtonian reality of humans firmly placed on terra firma, not traveling at Einsteinian relativistic speeds throughout the cosmos, nor do we operate on the planes in which all reality is a quantum probability cloud in which we can only define probabilistic outcomes. Rather, we live in a world where up means up and down means down, where we can define right and wrong. How then do we define our morality outside of given structures such as religion? I prefer the distribution curve. It would be fair to say that most humans are horrified by random violence, and that if we were to plot all people and their reaction to random violence, most people would fall within the central area of the distribution curve. Most people would therefore be in favor of a law that prevents random violence. We must define these things as our basic precepts. Any action you would take that would result in the prevention of others from seeking their fulfillment or any unjustified violence, damage or harm should be against the law. And government must exist to guarantee this. So when government takes from you on behalf of others, it is in violation of these precepts. There is, however, some nuance. We must accept some forms of tyranny in favor of order. Humans have long attempted pure anarchy, and we found that over our millions of years of evolution until today, that we nearly always attempted to form some kind of structure to prevent anarchy. Too much anarchy is against our nature, because it's how we rose out of the scrublands of Africa, spread across the globe, created tools and harnessed fire, all the way to today, where robotic proxies probe the depths of the planets floating above us. But too much order is tyranny, and results in the horrors we saw visited upon humanity in the 20th century by the many varied forms of totalitarian government. So in the center we must find balance. It's a lovely allegory for the greater forces at work in the cosmos. The Earth exists in the most delicate of balance in the solar system, perched precipitously within the habitable zone between the frozen reaches of our outer solar system and the scorched and blasted inner orbits of Venus and Mercury. The fossil record tells us that life on this planet was nearly eradicated more than once. Great changes in the weather or massive radiation spikes or earth-shattering events such as comets and asteroids all conspired to destroy our ancestors and ourselves and yet we endured. With too much order there would be none of the presumed random processes that allowed us to both form and evolve from the primordial pools of organic compounds to the random mutations that give rise to evolution. Too much anarchy and those vestigial life forms would have been destroyed by the chaos. Only in the balance did we evolve. 
Today, the balance has been tipped dangerously in one direction. It is your duty to your children to tip it back the other way. Remember, they're attempting to condition you into a theory known as cultural equivalence, in which no cultural value is better than any other. When they say America was never great, they're attempting to destroy the faith you have in this nation, and in a very real sense, break the foundations that hold this nation together. Choose your side, and be proud of your decision. Remember, they're going to call you a fascist, and a racist, and all sorts of other isms and ists, in an attempt to browbeat you into indecision. 